First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to First City Focus. I'm your host, Nicole Carey. On this episode, the city of Bicknell continues to move forward with projects aimed at improving the community there. We'll find out what's being planned for the new year. We'll have the second part in our special series on local broadcast legend Dave Hunter, who has spent over four decades bringing us the Vincennes University men's basketball games. And the Knox County Health Department continues its mission to promote wellness in our community. We'll have these stories and more right now on First City Focus. Another year has come and gone, and the city of Bicknell continues to make forward movement. Joining me to discuss what's going on in the northern Knox County city is Mayor Thomas Estabrook. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Nicole. Glad to be here. Um, as you look back on 2022, what stands out to you the most um, when you think of improvements or progress made in the city of Bicknell? So we've had we've had another great year. 2022 was another great year for us. Of course, we did uh, uh, we've done over in. Through 2022 and 2021, we've done $100,000 worth of new sidewalk improvement through our 50-50 matching program that we have. Uh, And of course, only half of that was paid for by the city. And so we're improving neighborhoods. Uh, one one sidewalk panel at a time, uh, and it's been very successful, and we already have folks who are looking at that for 2023. Uh, the other thing that we would talk about, as um, a lot of communities are, is housing. Uh, we've had a lot of folks who have uh, brought in new homes uh, on their own. Of course, we're obviously incentivizing that in any way we can, any way that we can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have seen uh, six or seven new residences come up in Bicknell in 2022 uh, with folks who have just come in and, and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move in here and, and bring in my own home. Uh, we've worked with some of those folks. If they've bought property where we've had liens or something mm-hmm. like that, we've worked with them to try to, get, uh, to, try to settle those for pennies on the dollar. We want people to, to move into town. And, uh, of course, recently uh, we just had a new home construct, uh, constructed, and it was on a piece of property that the city gave to a developer mm-hmm. uh, for the sole purpose of trying to bring in brand new housing and attract folks to town, and so uh, it was recently listed. So uh, those are some of the small pieces of su- success we've had in 22 and hoping for more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know along with the housing effort, the city's also taken upon itself to try to tear down some of those dilapidated houses in the community. How has that been? It's been extremely successful. Uh, since 2016, we've torn down over 100 blighted structures. Uh, some of those have uh, gone gone to neighboring property owners, either through tax sale or, or something to that effect. And of course, there were several that we purchased uh, through the blight elimination program, which was federal money we received a few years ago. And we're beginning to see the fruits of our labor uh, through uh, through the new housing. We're able to mm-hmm. use some of those lots and offer those to folks to say, you know, we want you to come to Bicknell, we want you to be a part of the community, and we're able to offer uh, a lot for, for, mm-hmm. uh, for, no, for no cost if they agree to build a new home there, and we've had success with three or four of those. And I know um, a big project now, uh, we've been awarded the Community Crossings Grant, kind of your second stab at this, 
Um, it's been a process, but now you're looking at almost a million dollars to help repave um, streets and roads in the Bicknell area. Yeah, e each year we get community crossings. I mm -hmm. say that it's unprecedented, and this one is absolutely unprecedented because communities our size don't get a million dollars very often. And so this is uh, uh, this is this is huge for us. I mean, they're you know the the. Some of the key pieces are going to be residential streets that haven't seen a paving machine in 30 years, but the, the biggest piece of this particular award is Russell Drive. Uh, and Russell Drive is our main industrial park road. It's mm -hmm. eight-tenths of a mile and connects to the center of town. Uh, and it's just been in poor condition for a long time. And it's something the city has wanted to do for a long time, but the money has not always been available. Uh, and so through um, assistance from the Knox County Redevelopment Commission and, and putting together some of the match money for us, we are going to be able to do that. And so it's going to do a couple things. It's going to hopefully be another route for folks to come into town off the highway and maybe take some of the, the traffic pressure off of Main Street and, mm -hmm. and the area near the school. And of course, it's going to add value to the industrial park. You know, our industrial park is continuing to grow and uh, it's going to be uh, something that without this program, we would have never been able to do. And so to be able to do a, a project of $1.3 million, which includes NDOT's money and our, our match money that we mm -hmm. had to put in, uh, is just really off the scale for us. It's something we would have never been able to do before. I know um, earlier in the year you were awarded uh, a previous uh, grant for $800-some-thousand, but your bids came in way above that cost. What did you learn in that process then when you went to reapply then for this million dollars? Well, of course, cost is everything, as you can imagine. Uh, some of those costs have come down quite a bit, and what we were able to learn was timing is a lot of it. Uh, mm -hmm. We find out that if you apply earlier, and if you, for example, if you apply in July like we did, then they award the money and then you use your bidding process over the winter, you're able to get to the contractors first, you're able to get on the schedule first, which mm -hmm. then usually gives you a reduction in price. And of course, overall cost of fuel and oil and everything has come down. So I think that's going to help us. And so we're hoping to maybe be on that pattern moving forward because uh, it's been successful for us in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can keep costs down, it's everything. Absolutely. Um, as we look at commerce, in, in the city of Bicknell. There seems to be a lot of changes going on right now. What are you, what are you seeing in the city? So we're seeing a lot of growth. Uh, you know, it's, and it's, it, it isn't necessarily uh, flashy growth, mm -hmm. as I would say. You know, I've had a lot of uh, young folks in my office saying, hey, I just need a, I need a small office space. Or I need a small building for my operation of one or, you know, one or two employees to do something. And, and those were conversations that we'd never had before. Uh, and that is really changing the dynamic of what we're doing. And so we're, we're finally, we're in a position now where we are kind of running out of available space in town for, uh, for small business and for others, which is obviously a good thing because we, we are growing. Uh, you know, we had uh, one of the largest economic developments that we've had, at least in my time and, and maybe in several years, was uh, when Basiloid came to the industrial park. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have expanded. They've put in, you know, easily six figures of investment into the industrial park, and I'd say that's probably going to be more. And uh, so we're... Uh, we're real glad to see all that moving on, and, and there are even more businesses that have come aside from those. Mm -hmm. And even um, a nice, iconic uh, staple of the community has been the skating rink. Yes. Uh, it's reopening doors or reopened already. Yes, we are very glad for that. Of course, you know, the city's owned the skating rink for several years, and we, we've leased it to some folks and our, our current lessees after 20 20 years of, of dedicated service mm -hmm. and, and selfless service have decided to, to move on. And, and so we have leased that to someone else, and uh, that will open uh, very soon. And so we've invested some of our Amer American Rescue Plan dollars into the skating rink with new uh, a new electric service, uh, putting on a new front door, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, just some cleanup things that are going to make it a lot better. Uh, and a lot of folks don't know it's been a skating rink for over 70 years. That's right. So, uh, you know, it's a... 
we, we hear a lot of folks talk about we need things for young people in the community, and, and uh, we don't have all the answers. This is one that we definitely have, and we're going we're gonna to keep it running. So we're looking forward to, go, to going skating, and hopefully my four-year-old's going to learn how to skate here s soon enough. He's a, he wants to go to the skating rink, too. I bet so. Mm -hmm. How has the community response been? Oh, it's been unbelievable. I mean, it's, uh, you know, almost everybody in, in the city or in the northern mm -hmm. Knox County area uh, grew, either grew up at the skating rink or went there. Or they had a birthday party there. They said, well, you know, when I was a kid, we went to the skating rink and had a great time. And it's something that a lot of people were able to get behind and really support uh, because it's, it's um, you know, there's a lot of demand for it. And people want to see that. And there's not a lot of them around anymore. That's right. And so uh, that's something we want to try to keep in the community. And if it's, it's something the city can do, we definitely want to do it. Okay. All right. Well, I wish you all the best in 2023. Thank you. If you want to keep up with all the happenings in Bicknell, we have information for you on our website, vincentspbs.org. Well, on our last episode, we took you back in time when Bicknell's own Dave Hunter started his career in broadcasting inside the White House as part of President Johnson's communication team. Fast forward to today, and Hunter now has more than five decades of professional experience in the field. In our second part of this special story, reporter Hunter Van Houten takes us through the local legend's journey as the voice of the VU Trailblazers. Again in front of the Lakeland bench, Caleb went down the ball, drops it into Bonsu. For over four decades now, Dave Hunter's iconic voice has called game after game for the Vincennes University men's basketball team. His love for basketball started at a young age, but he was never able to make it on the court. But that didn't stop him from being a part of the game. I mean, I was every star of the era on my driveway when I was growing up. Um, and through high school, I, I didn't play high school basketball. I was the last guy cut my senior year on the team. And the coach asked me if I wanted to do statistics for the team, which I said, sure. Um, I, I wanted to play so bad if he had given me a jersey and said, here, you can sit on the bench, but you'll never get in the game, I would have gladly taken it because I just wanted to be on the team. The idea never occurred to Hunter that he could get into sports broadcasting until he spent his time at the White House Communications Agency. His career in sports broadcasting began nearly 50 years ago when he took a job in 1972 at WAOV. Then Hunter began to delve into high school games and sat down with no experience, learning as he went. Luckily, he wasn't alone when he started. The late Don Skinner, uh, who was the guidance director at North Knox, he was actually my high school principal at Bicknell in 1961. And later I worked with him on broadcasts because he still, although he was still a school uh, administrator, he did games for the radio stations. And then my late friend Randy Westfall, who passed away last summer, uh, those two guys, we did hundreds and hundreds of games together. Sometimes the three of us, sometimes just uh, two of us. And we traveled together, became good friends. Uh, they were they were connoisseurs of basketball. They loved sports, and so you know those those guys always meant a lot to me. One thing Hunter started early on was interviewing coaches before the game, during halftime, and post game. He says normally everyone would go out and smoke, but since Hunter didn't, he thought he'd spend that time furthering his craft. When I started, coaches weren't used to being interviewed, and I started doing that doing pre-game interviews, halftime interviews, post-game interviews. And over the years, I've fortunately developed a rapport with a lot of coaches in the, in the business where it's easy to talk to them. But I never assume they have an obligation to talk to me. 
always put it in the context of, I'd like to do an interview at your convenience. And I always do the interviews before the day of the game if I can, because it's much more relaxed. You get more information. They're not on edge thinking about the next couple of hours when you get there. Into the middle, ball knocked loose. Look at those quick hands getting in from Sean Marion. According to Hunter, the best player he's seen on the Trailblazer court was Sean Marion. Marion, a two-time junior college All-American selection, played for VU from 1996 to 98, finishing his career as a second all-time scorer. Hunter recalls a bus crash on the way to a game that impacted Marion's chances to break the record. In 1998, we were on the way to Kankakee to play a game, and the driver pulled out in front of a pickup truck, which collided with the bus. Uh, because of the wreck, we didn't get to play that game. Uh, it, it was not rescheduled. Marion ended up with 1,685 points, second on our all-time list behind the late Jerome Brewer, who scored 1,700 points. Had we played the game against Kankakee, Marion almost certainly would have scored 16 points and would have been the all-time leading scorer. So that accident prevented him, and he wasn't hurt in the accident, uh, but that prevented him from getting to uh, pass the 1,700-point barrier, which would have made him the number one all-time scorer. After spending so much time as a sports announcer, Hunter has a wealth of knowledge and experience he wants to pass on to the younger generations. His advice to young aspiring sports broadcasters is to prepare as much as possible. One of the things my military service taught me was that you've got to be prepared to do the job way in advance. So I probably spend four to five hours before every broadcast preparing, uh, putting together statistics, rosters, information I may or may not, I may not even use any of it on the broadcast, but I have a game book that's this thick for every single game. It has game preparation, uh, historical data, anything I can refer to to make the broadcast more interesting. Hunter says as soon as he finishes announcing one game, he doesn't go to bed until he is ready for the next one. He also doesn't go into the game with catchphrases. Spontaneous is how Hunter wants to sound as he tries to carry the action so the listener can picture what he's portraying. After 51 years in the industry, Hunter says he wouldn't change a thing. And over the last 51 years, I've, I've just I've enjoyed it so much and stayed with it. I retired as VU Sports Information Director in 2008 thinking I would do it one more year. Until that year comes, Dave Hunter will be live at every Vincennes University men's basketball game. For First City Focus, I'm Hunter Van Houten. And of course, you can catch Dave Hunter's call of the game during what is now his 41st season with the VU Trailblazers on our sister station, Blazer 91.1 WVUB. Along with leading the fight against COVID, the Knox County Health Department continues to put the wellness of the community at the center of its daily operation. Here to update us on their efforts is Knox County Health Officer, Dr. Alan Stewart, and Head Immunization Nurse, Betty Langford. Thanks for being here. Our pleasure, thanks for having us. Um, I think most people have always been aware that each county has a health office, but the COVID pandemic definitely put your office in front and center in the spotlight for the community. Um, when you think back to the height of the pandemic, what stands out the most to you um, in regards to the effort and the work that the health department, the community um, did to try to combat COVID? I think it was the fact that the pandemic really 
none of us had really experienced anything like that before. In my lifetime, we've had the HIV pandemic, but nothing since the influenza pandemic of 1918 had we faced that. And for our community, it was an all hands on deck. We had people like you leading our publicity. Mm -hmm. We had uh, all of the first responders on deck. Uh, the health department was very busy trying to combat the pandemic. And for the first year, we had no vaccine. Right. And then we had the vaccine, which uh, was a big improvement, and we went forward. So it was a huge community experience, which was uh, frightening mm -hmm. and at the same time enriching. And, and when we got the vaccine, we found Betty. That's right. How has it been for you when you joined um, the health department? It's been a wild ride. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what I was getting into, but um, every day was a new set of challenges and things that we had to accomplish. And with the help of many volunteers from the community, we were able to pull it off as far as registers, as far as nurses, uh, people in the background doing scheduling. And we had many restaurants that provided food for us, mm -hmm. which was very heartwarming, uh, much of a surprise to many of us. And that continued for almost the entire time we were out at the church, which was Community Methodist Church, who gave us their facility to operate out of. And that was a perfect operation out there with plenty of parking and no steps. So easy flow for all the people. We could keep our six feet distance. And then for all these people to provide food, was just amazing. And again, it's the community that all came together mm -hmm. to help us fight this. Mm -hmm. So that was, that's wonderful. A lot of those volunteers have stayed with us as we have begun to pay them. So they're paid volunteers and they continue to be extra nurses when we need them, registrars when we need them. Uh, people have offered to come help us move, which we are, we took time out from the moving to come here today. Mm -hmm. So we do have some volunteers there working today to help us get everything moved out of there. And we'll be moving into the new building um, as we speak. Yeah. Um, with the new location comes the uh, opportunity to expand services to the community. What What is the health department Correct. looking at but to do? Before I answer that question, I'd just like to reinforce what Betty said mm -hmm. about the volunteers who showed up in our community. I think that was one of the things that really set us apart from other counties. We had these volunteers who showed up and our immunization clinic worked like a charm. The other thing was that we have an excellent relationship with our hospital. Uh, not all areas have that mm -hmm. and the hospital and health department have been working hand in hand as partners and that's uh, that's been excellent. So with the pandemic, as we it evolves and the pandemic is still with us but we look for opportunities to do more with public health which i think mm -hmm. is what you're asking me now and uh, we have the state has programs with regard to uh, uh, lead intoxication in children mm -hmm. and they have lowered the allowable lead levels so we are starting a program which is more intense with uh, following up on the high lead levels which we may run into uh, we also have a community outreach for education, and this is what we call our Fit Kids program. 
And again, we have partnered with the hospital in going into the schools and teaching kids about sugars and fats. And after the first of the year, we're going to go into kindergartens and teach about good hand washing. Mm -hmm. So there's an educational program that we're embarking on as well. I know during the pandemic, um, many children got behind on their childhood immunizations. How has it been so far, do you think? Are we getting caught up or is there still a need um, to reach out to parents to, to make sure we're up to date? We have Project Catch-Up, and I'm going to let Betty tell about that because we're actually doing pretty well. Uh, the numbers that Dr. Stewart's given me were 10% higher than most in the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. We've worked really hard to provide diapers to those who come in and get immunizations, to get the word out, to encourage people to get their immunizations. And our numbers have been unbelievable as to how successful that plan has has gone. Mm -hmm. So we're really thrilled with that. There's still work to do, um, even as we have no phones, no computers, no, I mean, we're all in boxes. Mm -hmm. People have come in this morning seeing the doors open and say, I need to get my child vaccinated before they can go to school. But mm-hmm. once they make an appointment, they can go back to school and say they'll be getting it on January 9th when we reopen. Okay. Um, I know right now many are very familiar with the term triple-demic um, with COVID, flu, and now RSV kind of running through the community. Flu and RSV, it's that season anyway. COVID just kind of throws in there too. Um, how are we? What are you seeing in Knox County? How are we doing with combating this? We're doing fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let Betty speak on this when I get done having what I want to say, but it's kind of an interesting experiment because two years ago when everyone was wearing a mask, there was no RSV, Mm -hmm. there was no influenza, and we were doing a fair job in keeping uh, COVID under control. And now with the RSV, we really had a huge year. That seems to have uh, peaked at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's been difficult, but uh, we're surviving it. Influenza, the vaccine seems to be a pretty good match for the influenza strain that we're seeing. But again, you have to be vaccinated. And we are seeing people in the hospital with influenza. And as far as I can see, they appear not to be vaccinated. So the influenza vaccine is very important for that. And I am not sure which direction that is going to go. I tell people that the COVID pandemic kind of goes from the older people down to the younger people. Influenza kind of goes from the younger people up to the older people. And I'm still wondering whether when schools and colleges return, whether we'll see a larger number of our older population become ill. Mm -hmm. It does take two weeks for the uh, flu vaccine to become effective. Mm -hmm. So don't think that you're going to get a flu shot today and be okay to go out and about where the COVID shot right now seems to be more that way, but it will take two weeks before you can go out and be vaccinated for the flu. And I think that's one thing that people don't understand. They think they go get a flu shot, they're good to go, Mm -hmm. but it it does take two weeks. I continue to wonder if the low numbers of RSV and flu that we saw over the last couple of years might be in some way responsible for the higher numbers that we're seeing now Mm -hmm. where children and Older adults did not get any immunization over the last couple of years from having the normal numbers that we see. As far as um, parents at home um, concerned that maybe their child doesn't have just a common cold or anything, especially with RSV, what do they need to be on the lookout for to make sure they seek attention, uh, medical attention for their child? Unfortunately, 
I think that RSV, COVID, and influenza have many of the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it is very difficult uh, to tell them apart. What's very nice in the last 20 years, we've gotten the uh, nasal swabs that can basically detect this. The COVID uh, testing is very readily available. We give out free COVID tests at the health department. Uh, a nasal swab can tell influenza. We can detect RSV. So if you appear sick, elevated temperature, uh, to know you really have to just go and get checked by your primary caregiver. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we wish you continued uh, good luck and success in this new year, and uh, especially at your new location and the new efforts you. that you guys are taking on. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You can find more information about the Knox County Health Department on our website, vincentspbs.org. And now for our final focus. At one local wildlife area, Wednesdays are known right now as Whooper Wednesdays. Green County's Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area hosts a public hike on Wednesday mornings, allowing those in attendance to stroll around the property to see some of the resident winter birds in their natural habitat. The walks are led by Caitlin Garrett from the International Crane Foundation. And as you might have guessed, the star of the walks are the endangered whooping cranes. Photojournalist Dave Novak takes us along for a Whooper Wednesday hike. Hopefully we do see some cranes today, either sandhills or whooping cranes. We have a good chance, but sometimes we don't get lucky. So right now we have a great example of a bunch of sandhills. We were just hearing they sound like dinosaurs. Um, there's quite a bit of rattle in their voice. Uh, people say that it sounds like they're saying karoo, karoo. I don't hear it. Like I said, I just hear a velociraptor from Jurassic Park. But we're gonna go ahead and take a walk up along the levee on uh, GP12 over there, and hopefully we can get a good look at some sand hills as they're flying across. So whenever they're out there eating in the wetlands, they could be eating crawfish, they could be eating fish, they could be eating bugs, roots, tubers, plants, um, really anything uh, they can get their beaks on. Cranes did experience a large decline in their population back in the 30s and 40s, um, primarily due to overhunting and egg collecting, along with um, habitat loss. You know, we have Goose Pond now, but pretty much 85% of Indiana's historic wetland acreage has been lost. So a lot of these um, open wetlands that were once um, all across the landscape here in Indiana have been lost and that has taken away a lot of habitat from our crane species, our um, other water bird species, our waterfowl. Whooper Wednesdays will continue through February 8th at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area. We have a link on our website that will take you to the organization's Facebook event for more information. And that's all for this edition of First City Focus. For everyone here at Vincent's PBS, I'm Nicole Carey. Join us again next week. First City Focus is supported in part by Good Samaritan, a regional health care center offering a variety of services from primary care to same-day joint replacement surgery and more. Good Samaritan, online at gshvin.org. Duke Energy, powering the lives of its customers and communities, online at dukeenergy.com. And by Vincent's PBS members. Thank you.